Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. I'm going to be joined by fan size Matt Verderam for the NFL midseason report. We got through eight weeks of the football season. Not much of a football season left in New York, but there are a lot of storylines going on nationally. Matt's going to come on. We'll break down some of those. Talk a little Jets and Giants as well. Show me the money's also back with NFL picks for week number nine. I had a one and two week last week, second week in a row where I only won one pick. So I'm hoping to get back on track this week. Stay tuned until the end of the show for this week's two minute drill, where I will offer my thoughts on the World Series thus far. The momentum has completely swung. After the Nationals won the first two, the Astros have won the next three. We're recording on Monday, the off day between game five and game six. So we'll see if the Astros close it out tomorrow. But we get it all wrong with this week's opening tip. We're going to look at some of the big games from Week 8, including the latest Jet disaster, right after this. Second year in the league. Here is Minshew escaping somehow. The sack throws on the run wide open. Jacksonville, it's Chris Conley breaking free, and he is in for the touchdown. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call you guys heard, courtesy of CBS Sports, Spiro Didis. Gardner Minshew just literally making the Jets look silly, scrambling out of a sack, finds a wide-open Chris Conley behind three Jets, and he runs all the way to the end zone. The Jaguars blow the Jets out, and this game was not even close, which is very alarming here a Jet fan who was saying, well, this is the easy part of the schedule. This is where they start picking up wins. Not going to happen. Not after what we saw yesterday. The Jets were completely outmatched for the entire game. I, again, I have friends who are Jaguar fans. I was texting them during the game. like, I have no idea why this game is this close because the Jets have been thoroughly outplayed in this football game. Simply put, the offensive line couldn't block. Tremaine Johnson stunk before he got hurt and got benched for Nate Harrison. The secondary could not cover anyone. They did a good job of Fournette outside on one run, but the offense was completely ineffective. Robbie Anderson lost again. Sam Darnold, three more interceptions. It looks like he's going backwards by the week, which is not good. And this is another horrific coaching job by Adam Gaze, who uh, no one wanted him here. The only one who season wanted him here was the owner, who got sold the bill because of Peyton Manning, calling him up and saying, you know what? You have to hire this guy. He's brilliant. What in Peyton Manning's life has he ever done for the Jets that made his opinion the one that absolutely needed to be listened to? That bothers me. And you just watched the Jets yesterday. And there is no hope with this franchise right now. They can give Le'Veon Bell the ball enough. He only got nine carries yesterday and a couple of catches. Tip for the wise here with Adam Gase. If you have a brilliant running back and your receivers aren't doing much, maybe you give him the football more. The only way they are going to beat the Jaguars yesterday was if Le'Veon Bell played a big role. And they did not do that. And what we saw yesterday was the latest sign this team is a disaster, and it's time to back the truck up. This is a complete dumpster fire situation. They need to let Joe Douglas completely rebuild his team. That starts with the deadline moves that should be coming. Leonard Williams should be gone yesterday. Get what you can for him, move on. Robbie Anderson, I know that taking a weapon away from Darrell is not great, but if he's getting you multiple draft picks, and the Falcons got a second-round pick from the Patriots for Mohamed Sanu. The 49ers got two draft picks for Emmanuel Sanders. Is Robbie Anderson that irreplaceable that you can't part with him for the right draft pick compensation? We already heard the Raiders were interested. 
I wouldn't be shocked if a team like the Ravens is interested because they could use that another field stretcher to go alongside Hollywood Brown. I would flip him. If somebody is stupid enough to want Tremaine Johnson, send him on his merry way. I don't think that's going to happen. Is there anybody who's not part of the long-term future? Get them out of here because this team is going nowhere, and I think the head coach needs to go too. Adam Gates is a losing head coach. We have seen this in Miami. Somehow the Jet ownership thought, you know what? He'll come here. It's a fresh start. He'll be good. Nope. Not happening. We're seeing a bit of the same with Pat Shermer, the Giants, where losing coaches are losing coaches. They have demonstrated that they're not good. The Jets had it right there for them. They had a Super Bowl winning head coach who developed a quarterback into a superstar. He was a free agent. He wanted to go to them. But they said, what do the fans know? We got this. We'll hire Adam Gase. He's going to prove us to be geniuses. He's making you look like morons. And I don't care about the fact you have to pay three coaches next year. As I said with the Mets with Edwin Diaz before, do not compound the mistake. Let him go. Move on. Hire the right coach because the last thing you can do is blow this quarterback by having an incompetent head coach coaching him. That's the last thing they can do. But let's go on some of the other games. Let's go to the Giants for a minute as well. Giants losing Detroit 31-26. The game was not as close as the score would have you indicate. The positive was Daniel Jones played much better. Throws four touchdown passes. But the problem here, again, the defense was bad. Matthew Stafford basically lit the Giants on fire on the secondary. And there's another team on the fast track of nowhere. They're a little further along the Jets because they have a more complete unit than they are. But the state of New York football right now is horrendous. The Jets are going on a decade and not making the playoffs. The Giants have basically made the playoffs once since they won the second Super Bowl. That's inept football in this town. And like Gase, Pat Shermer should also be on the hot seat because Pat Shermer, again, a losing head coach. Did not do much in Cleveland. 7-17 seven and 17 so far with the Giants. And the track record alone should tell you he's not a good coach. And I know he doesn't have a lot to work with. Gettleman should be on the hot seat too, but he's not because he has drafted Daniel Jones. So the future here with Shermer just depends on what happens with Jones. If Jones gives you more efforts like he did yesterday where he shows improvement and he's going in the right direction, then we'll let Shermer stay. If Jones takes more steps backwards, still turns the football over at a prodigious rate, and is just making mistake after mistake after mistake, then I think he goes because you cannot blow the development of your quarterback. That's something I hope the Jets realize. Something the Giants definitely probably will realize. So we will see what happens with that going forward. Some of the other interesting games around the league this week. The Eagles and the Bills. And we learn quickly. Buffalo, not a superstar team. We're still trying to figure out who the third best team in the AFC is after the Patriots and the Chiefs. It's not the Bills. The Eagles went in there, whipped them. 31-13. This is an Eagle team that looked in complete disarray the previous two weeks. The Vikings and the Cowboys beat them up, and they went into Buffalo and smacked the Bills around, and this was pathetic. I mean, there was the Eagles ran for 218 yards on the Bills. The Bills have a good defense. That's not a good performance. And Josh Allen, pedestrian effort, he only passes for 169 yards, and two touchdowns, he runs eight times at 45 yards, and you start to wonder with the Bills, is 
the fact that Josh Allen is sort of not really progressing much from where he was last year. They're winning still. I will give them that. They are 5-2, and two and they have still have a soft schedule, so they have a good shot to make the postseason. But are we going to be sitting here a year from now having the kinds of conversations about Josh Allen that the Bears fans are having on Mitch Trubisky? And remember, last year, everybody was talking about oh, Trubisky was the greatest thing ever. He's a superstar young quarterback. Matt Nagy's an innovator. This year, they're ready to move on and draft someone. That's a sign of a problem. I don't think the Bills are very good. They'll make the playoffs, but that was a big win for the Eagles. The Eagles in desperate need of victory in a very, very loaded NFC. They're back to 500. They've got a game against the Bears next week, so we'll see if they can make it two in a row. And speaking of those Bears, who I was low on at the beginning of the season, the Bears yesterday found an incompetent way to blow a game to a Charger team that I was also very low on. The Chargers looked like they could not get out of their own way for most of that game. They get the lead late. They score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, go up 17-16. The Bears got the ball. They're driving down the field. Right at the end of the game, they set up Eddie Pinheiro for a field goal to win it. And what do the Bears do when they get down there when they have a shot to move the ball forward? Because remember, this was not a gimme kick for the Bears. This kick was literally a 41-yarder. And what happens? They get the ball. They're at the Charger 21 with 43 seconds left. They kneel the ball and take a timeout. That's like Herm Edwards' styles of bad saying, you know what? It's a 43-yard kick. Doug Bryan can make it. I don't need to try and push the ball any forward. Eddie Pinheiro predictably misses the kick. They lose panic mode in Chicago right now. Yeah, the Bear fans are about to riot. Trubisky, again, not very good yesterday. He really was not because, I mean, they're probably ready to throw him over the bridge right now. A very inefficient day. Despite completing 23 passes for 253 yards, no touchdowns, throws the pick. Not very effective move with that offense. This group only generated one touchdown the entire game. This is not good for a guy supposed to be taking a leap forward in his third year in the league. He has regressed, and that's a problem for the Bears. And that Bear-Eagle game next week, desperation game for those two teams. That's going to be excellent football to watch if you are a football fan. Other games I wanted to hit on, 49ers and Panthers. 49ers absolutely wiped the, the mat with the Panthers. 51-13 win yesterday. And those of us who have been questioning whether the 49ers are good, including this genius right here who took them under eight wins to start of the year. They're already 7-0, so that one's an automatic loss for me. And I'll tell you, they do enough to win, and they are very efficient. Jimmy Garoppolo did not have to do much yesterday. He only had to throw 22 passes to complete 18 of them, two touchdowns, one pick. 49ers run all over the Panthers, 232 yards on the ground. That is ridiculous. And the defense, Nick Bosa, was everywhere yesterday. That's a guy I wish had fallen the Jets. He could have gotten something out of him if Quinn Williams has done pretty much nothing with the Jets so far. But yesterday, three sacks, that huge leaping interception. Joey, Bo- I mean, Nick Bosa was all over the field. He was great. And the Panthers, that, that's a bad loss for them. And you makes you wonder. I think I'll go back to Cam Newton at quarterback now. The argument for Kyle Allen was, well, he was 4-0. The, the Panthers hadn't lost a game with him yet, so might as well stick with what works. Yesterday, he was god-awful. 
Got sacked seven times through three picks. Quarterback rating of 28.9. I think the time has come to go back to Cam and see if he can get you to where you want to go. I think that's very obvious. Another one to note, Pats Browns. I was shocked that the Browns were even in this game for a little bit, but the Patriots kind of kept them at arm's length the entire time. Tom Brady does what he does. The Patriot defense, again, dominates the Browns. Baker Mayfield throws a pick. They lose two fumbles. One gets run back to the house. Patriots, unexpectedly, shockingly, did not find a way to lose this game. They are 8-0, and the schedule finally gets tough for them this week. They go to Baltimore on Sunday night, although I think they probably win that game. That's going to be a tougher game for them. Their next five games, they go to Baltimore. They go to Philadelphia. They host the Cowboys. They get the Texans on a Sunday night game. And then, last but not least, the big one, the Chiefs on, I think, a couple, about five weeks from now. Those are five big games the Patriots. I would be shocked they win all of them. I think they're going to lose one because we have not seen enough out of the Patriots yet to say they have not beaten anyone good yet. They've beaten the Jets twice, Miami, the Redskins, the Browns, the Giants, and a Bills team that cannot score and just got smacked by the Eagles yesterday. That's not a lot of good wins in there. I would not. And Pittsburgh with Ben was probably their best win, and Ben was awful in that game. One quality win out of eight. Can they win a lot of these games? Absolutely. Are they going to go undefeated? I don't think so. There are enough flaws with that team. They have issues on the offensive side. The defense is great, but again, they have not been tested at all. We'll see what has them going forward. And last night, the game of the week. Sunday Night Football, Chiefs, Packers. What a fun football game that was. Green Bay hangs on to win 31-24. Chiefs put up a good effort without Patrick Mahomes. Matt Moore did his job on the offensive end. He moved the ball, threw two touchdowns, made the big throws. But the key to this game was the fact that Kansas City defense absolutely stunk. And they could not stop Aaron Rodgers who throws a 305 three scores. And they also could not stop Aaron Jones, who was literally winning fantasy football weeks for people last night. Aaron Jones just a seven catches for 159 yards and two touchdowns, and he ran for another 67. That literally is domination of a football game. And bad job by the Chief D, which you wonder, did Andy Reid do too much with it last year? Was he so frustrated by the AC Championship loss, they threw out too many good pieces. I mean, they trade away D4, they cut Justin Houston, they bring in Frank Clark. They bring in Tyron Matthew. The defense seems to have gotten worse from year to year. And even when Mahomes is back, that's a problem because if they can't get off the field, the Patriots are just going to bleed them to death. They're going to run the ball down their throats to Sonny Michelle and company. Mahomes is not going to see the football, and then they'll end up losing these games. It's a big problem for the Chiefs. You wonder if they're going to go make some moves at the deadline because this is a team that was expected to win this year. I picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. But the defense is going to hold them back. That's a major, major issue. Speaking of some of these questions, we'll go to our NFL midseason report next. We will talk to Matt Verderam from Van Sided right after this. And he trusts his guys to cover everybody, and he's fine with it. Back him at the top. Gilmore on him. Here's Chubb's first handle. Chubb. The, oh, the football comes out. The football is scooped up by Hightower, and he takes it home for the touchdown. Chubb's first handle coughs it up. 
and the New England defense has scored yet another touchdown on this season. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you has heard, courtesy of CBS Sports' Jim Nance and Tony Romo. The Patriots turning a fumble for a touchdown against the Browns. They improved to 8-0 on the year. One of the big headlines of the NFL midseason. Joining us today to break it down is a uh, man you've heard on this podcast twice before. Last spoke to him during the draft is fan sites NFL uh, insider Matt Verderam. Matt, welcome back. How are you? Thanks a lot, Mike. I'm good. How you doing? Doing very good. And I want to start off with some breaking news to my podcast listeners who heard at the beginning of the show I said the Jets should trade Leonard Williams. And they did trade Leonard Williams to the Giants today for third and fifth round picks. What was your reaction when you first heard that trade? I thought it was a great deal for the Jets. Yeah. Um, look, ultimately, Leonard Williams has not been the player they wanted to be at seven and a half sacks, which is nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, you draft a player that high. When he's a top ten player, he's supposed to be a pro ball. He's supposed to be an all pro, you know, in a, in a perfect world, a potential all famer. Obviously, Leonard Williams never became any of those things. And to get a third and fifth round pick, which the fifth round could bump up to a fourth, he gets signed long term by the Giants. I think it's great value. Uh, the Jets are one in six. It's about trying to look toward the future. Uh, I, I thought that getting rid of Williams made a lot of sense. I think the Giants overpaid. I was also surprised you went to the Giants. I mean, the Giants are two and six. This isn't a team that's trying to get over the hump. So I thought it was an odd move for Gettleman and company, but for the Jets, it's good value. Uh, it'll give them more draft ammunition. They can either you know use those spots to pick players. They could trade up, trade down. It gives them more flexibility. Yeah, the Jets are a bit of a mess. They're one and six. Seems like they've gotten worse year to year. I I think honestly the biggest problem is that they just can't draft very well. Would you agree that's the biggest issue with the Jets right now? Yeah, I mean, look, in the in the long scope, yeah. If you look at their first-round picks year after year after year, I mean, whether you want to talk about you know, Dean Milner or Darren Lee or, or, you know, Leonard Williams, not down the line, I don't have to depress everybody. But, yeah, I mean, those have been uh, picks that if you're going to be a good team, you've got to hit on. You know, they, Now, they have hit on a few recently. You know, Jamal has a terrific player. You hope he signs it long-term. They figure that thing out. Sam Darnold, look, I know he's been awful the last couple of weeks. But I still think there's a lot there. Um, I think the other big problem for the Jets right now, in my opinion, is their coach. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the hire when they made it. I understood the reasoning behind it. They figured, hey, look, he's an offensive coach. He's, he's somebody that Peyton Manning endorsed. You know, this is somebody we think maybe they can get the best shake down in Miami. Well, Gase has been uh, an issue, in my opinion, and, and, a, and a very big one all year long. I think with Joe Douglas coming in after Adam Gase, I think this is going to be a one-and-done thing with Gase because Douglas is not going to tie his future to that. I think he's going to go you know, outside of, of that box and say, look, I'm going to bring in my guy, and if I fail with him, so be it. I'm not going down with Adam Gase. Yeah, I think the Jeff fans are very happy if that actually happened. I'm skeptical, but we'll see on that. As far as the Giants are concerned, they make this trade today, but I think their whole year is going to be defined by the Daniel Jones thing. You went on this podcast back in April and you talked to a scout who was not very high on Jones after he got drafted, so... Do you think that he has shown enough to indicate that the scout was wrong? No, not to this point. Uh, and, you know, I, I was down at the senior bowl. I was, you know, I was down in the combine. And, look, Daniel Jones certainly has his fans as well. But I think the overwhelming sentiment from people you talk to in the league, and, and this is no secret, this stuff is out there as well, just in public, um, most people thought he was drafted extraordinarily high for the spot he was taking in. And I think – you know, number six overall. Now, look, you could argue 
Well, was he the better pick than Dwayne Haskins? Well, to this point, yes, but that doesn't mean he justifies being taken at number six. And the Giants had three first-round picks. Jones has not played well. DeAndre Baker has been a flat-out disaster corner. And Dexter Lawrence has been, okay, fine. You know, but they, they have not you, – you get three first-round picks. You, you better knock a couple of them out of the park. They've not done to this point. Now, it's early in Jones' career. We're talking less than a half dozen starts. I mean, this could be, or actually an exact half dozen starts. This could be, you know, turned around. He could he could figure things out the last half of this year, year two, so on and so forth. But, no, the turnovers are the main problem. He Even a game against Tampa where he kind of came onto the scene in his first start, he didn't have a turnover. He threw three balls that should have been picked off in that game. Well, since then, those turnovers have been happening more and more frequently. And so if you're the Giants, that is the major concern right now. Yeah, I would agree. We just can see what happens with him. And before we get to the rest of the league, the team itself, that's why your take on the state of the officiating right now, particularly this strange implementation of the PI rule change, because they made a big yep. deal in the offseason about, oh, we're going to make sure that if you make a mistake, it's going to get called, but then they won't overturn anything. So you have any thoughts on the officiating right now? Yeah, look, you know what? I know everybody loves to kill the officials, and I certainly – Normally, I, I never do. I always say, look, teams want to lose because they deserve to lose. But the officiating this year, I blame it more just on the NFL's brass. I think it's gotten to the point where, look, anyone who's listening to this podcast and likes any other major sport, is there a rules analyst on the broadcast for a hockey game? Like, no, you just you understand what the rules are, and you can watch the game, and it's fine. It's easy enough. Football's gotten ridiculous. I mean, you've got, you've got Gene Steratore on every CBS game and half the time he doesn't even know what the right call is or he's not sure. And it's, I think they need, at the end of this season, they need to sit down at these league owners' meetings, the competition committee, all the rest of it, and they've got to start eliminating and simplifying these rules because it's too, it's too complicated to figure out anything now. And as far as the PI stuff goes, look, I thought it was terrible that they were allowed to challenge us in the first place. You're opening up Pandora's box. I get it. The Saints got jobbed. But that's one game, as horrible as it was. You could argue it took a Super Bowl away from the Saints. It's one call. It's a missed call, rather. You, you can't change everything because of that. And I think, look, what you're seeing is the NFL knows they made a mistake, and that's why none of these things are getting overturned. I would guarantee you that's coming down from Park Avenue. They're saying, look, do not overturn any of these calls, and they'll stop being challenged. I think that's where we are. But to have to do that, means that the rule was terrible in the first place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's get back to the field for now. I mean, the Patriots, we started in the opening clip there. They're 8-0. They have not really been tested this year. There's a chance they can go unbeaten. Do you think it happens? No, I don't think they're going to go unbeaten. I think they could lose this weekend. I Look, I think New England is very good. And I think anybody who doesn't think there is a fool, they could go to four straight Super Bowls. There's a reason for it. But... I have real concerns about that offense. And nobody talks about it, or at least not a lot of people talk about it, because they, they're 8-0 and they're New England and they're above reproach. Their offense stinks right now. Absolutely stinks. They, they can't block. They, you know, I know they brought in Mohamed Sanu, but look, the fact that Belichick traded a second-round pick, which everybody I think felt was a, a round or two high, the, the reason they got him is Belichick knows they can't score. He knows their offense isn't any good. And he also knows that eventually – they're not going to win the turnover battles by plus three and plus four and plus five. They're eventually going to play some teams in these next five weeks. Their schedule, Baltimore, Houston, Kansas City, Dallas, Philadelphia, they're not going to get four and five turnovers from those teams. And they're not going to be able to bring cover zero blitzes because those teams will kill them. 
So I think look, the Pats are very good. They're going to be the one seed. The Pats are the overwhelming favorite in the AFC, and they should be. But would I be shocked if in a playoff game, if Kansas City went up there, if Houston went up there, if Baltimore went up there and beat them? No, because the offense is a real problem. And at some point here, it's going to come in rear tech. Yeah, you brought the Chiefs up, who we know are the AFC second best team. They're getting Mahomes back soon, which will help. But their defense has just been scary, man. We saw that last night against the Packers. They couldn't stop Aaron Jones to save their lives. So what can they do to fix that defense? Well, you know, the Chiefs' defense is interesting because early in the year they couldn't stop the run at all. Now, the last couple games they have, they, they've made some adjustments. They've put Reggie Ragland in the lineup. They've put Kalen Saunders, their third-round rookie defensive tackle, in there with Chris Jones being hurt. That's actually done a pretty good job against run. It was terrific against Denver. It was what I would, I guess, term it solid against Green Bay. Their corners are playing better than expected, and their safeties have been very good. The problem with the Chiefs, their linebackers can't cover anybody. And what you saw was Matt LaFleur saying, we're going to split Aaron Jones out and throw the ball to him. And that's where Jones did most of his damage. I actually have a little bit of a different opinion on the Chiefs defense. I thought it was absolutely rancid the first six weeks of the year. I thought last night, all things considered, I didn't think their defense was terrible in that game. Look, they, they can't cover a, a running back, which is obviously an enormous problem. But I thought they got five sacks on Rodgers. Rodgers made two throws that were otherworldly in that game. Otherwise, the Packers score probably 20 points. So, like, I, I think ultimately, if you're, if you're a Chiefs fan, I think there's reason to believe, especially with Frank Clark and Chris Jones and Kendall Fuller coming back, this defense is actually somewhat turning a little bit of a corner to at least being an average defense. But right now, the Chiefs' biggest concern are the injuries. They're just missing everybody. Now, nobody's season-ending. They should be coming back. But I, I think well, Kansas City, to me, is still the second-best team in the conference. I still think they're a major threat to go to New England and beat them when they're healthy. But the Chiefs just have to get healthy. And once they do, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think we're pretty clear. Pats won, Chiefs two in the AFC. The next question is, who is the third-best team in that conference? I like Houston, and I'm not a Bill O'Brien fan. Anyone who's ever listened to my podcast, Stacking Box, knows that. I uh, I have major reservations about Bill O'Brien. And, and them losing J.J. Watt for the year to a torn tech, that's a huge loss. Not only is he gone, but now it's easier to double Whitney Merciless. There's no Jadavion Clowney. The secondary is in shambles. Houston's got real problems. But the reason I put them three is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller when he's right, DeAndre Hopkins, they – they can have a game where Watson just goes berserk and they have a shot to beat anybody anywhere. Now, I think, I think the Colts are the more well-coached, complete team in terms of roster, but Brissett's not Watson. He's certainly not Mahomes. I, I think ultimately, you know, it's, it's kind of like, the, actually, it's kind of like Kansas City a handful of years ago and they had Alex Smith, and they had a, they had a good, solid roster. But you always knew in the playoffs that at some point you're, you're going to have to have Alex Smith win the game. So Jacoby Brissett, I just don't know that he can do that against those upper echelon quarterbacks. And with Lamar Jackson, love his skill set, love the athleticism. But I just, again, he can't beat you from the pocket. He can't throw the ball. And eventually it's just gonna, he's going to have to do that. Teams that can only win one way, unless they have that – unbelievable quarterback a la the Chiefs, the Packers, the Saints. It's just very, very hard to win in January like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's go to the NFC for a little bit. We'll stay in Texas, so we'll start with the Cowboys. 
what do we make of them after the first uh, eight weeks of the season? I think they're a good team with flaws. Um, look, they, they start out 3-0, and then they lose three games in a row, including to the Jets, which is a game I think sent alarm bells off everywhere. And then I thought there was a, a maybe a, a notion that, hell, well, you know, the Jets aren't as bad as, as they were because they got Darnold back in these last two games. You say, well, no, the Jets were every bit as bad. They just had a game they played well against Dallas. Um, I think Dallas is, is a good team. Uh, listen, the, the offensive line, when it's healthy, is probably still the best in football, certainly a top three unit. You know, Prescott is Prescott. I, in, in, in another word, I think he, he's a good quarterback who's somewhat limited. Look, Dallas is going to have to win with its defense. They're going to need to win with, with Demarcus Lawrence and Byron Jones and Leighton Van Der Esch. I mean, that, that's how Dallas is going to win games in January. I do think they're a playoff team. I, I think they're the best team in that division. Uh, but the Cowboys are limited to a degree with the coach-quarterback combination. Both guys are okay. I would say Prescott's a better quarterback than Garrett is a coach. But still, it's not the combinations you have in Green Bay, New Orleans, and even potentially San Francisco. Yeah, you brought up those three teams who all have good quarterback-coach combinations. I think they are all in contention with the best team in the NFC, which is loaded compared to the AFC, which is pretty mediocre outside of the top two. So who would you put as the NFC's best team out of those three? I like New Orleans. I, look, you know what? They, they went out and won five games in a row without Drew Brees. The defense, which was long the Achilles heel down in the bayou, they played very well. Sean Payton, we know about him. He's a great coach. One day he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Drew Brees now comes back. They're 7-1. The other thing that helps is that division's a disaster. Now, the Panthers are halfway decent. The, the Buccaneers stink. Winston can't stop turning the ball over. The Falcons are probably, if it, were, if it weren't for the Dolphins and the Bengals, you'd be talking about the Falcons as the worst team in football along with Washington. So, uh, I, I think New Orleans, to me, is the best team. I think the Packers are right there behind them. And then the Niners, no disrespect to them. 7-0. You know, they've got really nice wins over the Rams and the Panthers. My big concern with them is Garoppolo as the year goes on. Because if you look at these games, Garoppolo is being asked to do nothing. And he's really not done much. He's, I believe he's like nine touchdowns and seven picks. He's not played particularly well. And when they get to a playoff game and they play New Orleans, when they play Seattle, when they play Green Bay, and they play Philly and Wentz is right, they're going to have a problem because the quarterback play simply just is not up to the standard of those other teams. Yeah, that makes some sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them as we go on. Obviously, we're at the halfway point of the season. I want to ask this two ways. First, you feel like there's a team right now that we're not going to talk about that's going to make a big run in the second half? You know, it's a good question. I, I could see the Rams maybe being that team. Maybe yeah, I, I, if I brought a couple of those teams, I'd say the Rams are one because I think Goff really has played horribly. Although he did show up nice again in London against the Bengals. Now it's the Bengals. Take that for what it's worth. But I think you know the Rams are a team that everybody kind of kicked some dirt on when they were three and three. I wouldn't be shocked to see them make a run. Uh, the Eagles are a team that you know, much like the Chiefs in a lot of ways. Quite honestly, you look at them. The records aren't what you thought they'd be. But those two teams are still right in the mix. They're right where they need to be. Um, you know, the Chiefs a little bit more than Philly. But Philly's got a lot of injuries. Now, these guys are starting to come back. You know, Deshaun Jackson's going to practice this week. Ronald Darby's going to practice this week. Um, I could see Philly making a move. You know, my, my preseason Super Bowl prediction was Kansas City and Philly. And I'm, I'm not ready to move off it yet. It doesn't look great, especially with Philadelphia. Um, 
But I, I, if the Eagles get healthy, I still think they could be a bear in the NFC. Okay, let's go the other direction then. They're a team right now that's in a good spot you think might fade. I think the Niners are going to lose some games. They have a very hard schedule. Um, I don't think they're going to fade out of the playoff picture or anything, but I, I think they're, they're going to be in a fight for their lives for that division. Seattle's really good. We all know about the quarterback. I think he's MVP of the league. He, he and Aaron Rodgers are co-favorites in my eyes. Um, so I think they'll lose a couple. I, I think as the year goes on, the AFC, it almost feels like, you know, the six playoff teams are. I mean, unless somebody comes out of, of, of nowhere, really. Um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of movement there. You know, I, I'm curious with the Bills, and the Bills have a very easy schedule. But the Bills are a team that I just don't know if they can beat anybody who's legitimate. The, the quarterback's not good enough. Um, that's a that's a concern to me. I, I just think ultimately Buffalo makes the playoffs because the conference isn't good and the schedule's a joke. But I, I don't know that I think Buffalo is a legitimate Play, you know, typical playoff type team. I think they get there because of the schedule, but January proves to be a whole other animal for them. Yeah, Buffalo is where I was going to go with that. Matt Verram, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you all everybody know how to find on social media and how to subscribe to the Stack in the Box podcast? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so you follow me on uh, on Twitter at Matt Verram, uh, D-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. Uh, I know it's not the easiest name in the world to spell, believe me. Um, and then... Uh, Yes, Stack in the Box podcast it goes up every week. We do it with Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman for eight years. Uh, hour long goes every Tuesday. You can check it out on and really just about any platform: iTunes, Google Play, uh, you know, Spotify. You can subscribe there. Please, you know, leave a rating, uh, leave a leave a comment. Always love to hear from people. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully. I hope it's a good lesson for all the listeners out there. Yeah, it's a good podcast. I checked it out. Also, be sure to check out Matt's work on fan site on Twitter. He's got a lot of great stuff going on over there. Wait, appreciate it, Mike. All right, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it, Matt. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Matt Verderam from Fanside with some NFL midseason reports, some good storylines, some interesting stuff from Matt. Up next, show me the money, NFL picks with Dan Martini right after this. That's right. Show you the money. NFL picks for week number nine. We are halfway through the football season. Joining me today to talk some picks is a guy who last heard from shortly after Andrew Luck retired. Dan DiMartini, the Colt fan, back on the bond do some picks this week. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Football gods have moved in my favor, and I'm in a lot better mood than the last time I was on. So thanks for bringing me back, and it's been a great season so far. Yeah, I mean, the last time we talked to you, you were not very happy after the luck news. felt like you were going to have a long, miserable season. And we checked today, the Colts are in first place in the AFC South at 5-2. and two, So how has your feelings toward the season changed as we've gone through? You know, when we spoke and I went on my rant about luck retiring, you know, I, I said very straight up that I was confident in Jacoby Brissett. So you can go back to the tape and verify me on this, that I knew that we were going to have a solid year. And if you look at the schedule, I said, okay, you know, if we can make it to, you know, five and two or, or you know, stay a little bit above 500 through that first portion of the year, that we were going to have a pretty easy chance to win 10 games just based off of the schedule alone. Now, I didn't think that we beat the Chiefs. 
And I did not think that, you know, that we were going to, you know, lose to the Raiders at home. But, uh, you know, you, you take those as a wash. And, you know, look, you can't, you got to be happy with 5-2. and two. We're technically the second seed in the AFC right now if the, if the playoffs started today. So, you know, losing your best player, uh, starting with the unknown, a bunch of young guys on defense, especially in the secondary right now because we are really banged up. Um, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with the team. Now, they are the heartbreak Colts. You know, I, every game has been – they're the only team in the NFL that's had every single game decided by seven points or less this season. So you can imagine, I'm getting really, really mad at halftime, down 6-3, and then at the end of the game, I just – I'm shaking my head at this team because they just want to put me in an early grave. So I'm very, very pleased, but at the same time, I'm like, man, we we have got to stop playing down to our opponents because – we could very easily be two and five. So, yeah, that that's just how it goes in the NFL. Yeah, that kind of happened yesterday too with the Broncos, where you thought the Colts were going to wipe the floor, then they're down most of that game, rally when they late. So, like, what was your big takeaway from that Colt game against the Broncos? You know, my biggest takeaway is that the Broncos' defense can keep them in games. It's just a shame that their offense is just so bad, and I really don't think it's it's for lack of talent because they've got two very viable backs and their offensive line actually kind of shut us down Flacco had plenty of time to throw the ball their play calling is awful for a team that you know is two and five now two and six they don't take any chances and we had a very vulnerable secondary our first round well kind of you know he's technically a second rounder but Rocky Sin who we took out of Temple to be our kind of franchise you know cornerstone cornerback has not played well this season. He, he's had good moments, but he, overall he had five penalties yesterday, was getting torched by Cortland Sutton. Well, they stopped throwing the ball. All of a sudden they just got really passive and didn't take any chances. So that's the biggest takeaway is that Vinatieri is, is scaring me with the fact that you know he's missing 45-yarders but making 55-yarders and then all of a sudden missing extra points, and he's shaking his head on the sideline. And I'm like, I thought we were beyond this. I thought that that was just like a bad period of time. But, man, he is wildly unreliable right now, and I don't think that we can win a playoff game if he's not going to figure himself out. And it's just between the ears. It's not a physical thing because he's still got the leg to make a you know, 55, 56-yarder. So it's, it's definitely in his head. So biggest takeaways, Denver's defense, don't, don't you know, <laughs> take them lightly. Um, but you've got to put points on the board somehow, and um, you, know, you shouldn't have too much issues with them. The Colts need to figure out the kicking situation. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. One thing that has not been a problem, as Jacoby Brissett, said, he's played very well in his first full year as a starter without luck in the wings. So what do you think about Jacoby Brissett? I mean, they gave him the contract. Do you feel confident he's the long-term guy or he's just sort of a stopgap until they find the next one? Um, it's really hard to say because he's got that look. You know, he's a big guy. He's bigger than you think. He's actually pretty similar in size to Andrew Luck. He's he's mobile enough. He's not like you're going to say, oh man, this, you know, he's he can get out in space and cause some problems. He can really avoid the rush. Everybody, I'm assuming, has seen that highlight play that saved the game for us yesterday when he broke out of Von Miller's sack and, you know, rolled to his right and made like a bullet pass to T.Y. Hilton that basically got us in field position to kick a field goal. So I mean, he can make all the big plays. Does he like wow you? Um, probably not. But you know, we can we can win if we if we're clicking on all cylinders. Like we've got the talent in every position. I don't know yet if he's the long term answer. I think he's 27 years old. I, we've given him you know the chance to prove himself that we can win with him. 
do we go two years here? And because he's proven that you know he can he can lead this team. The guys love him. He's a fantastic locker room guy. He is not about himself at all. If you follow him on social media after the game, all of his posts are just about how great his teammates are and how great the team is. Like nothing about himself. He doesn't like any posts. The only time he ever talks about himself is when he makes fun of uh, he trolls uh, other sports accounts that spell his last name wrong, um, which is pretty funny. But. Uh, you gotta love the guy, and and he's winning. So until I don't care what his stats are, as long as we're five and two, right? I mean, can can anybody complain about their quarterback? I I could see the Colts waiting a year, addressing some issues that we've got on defense. You know, we haven't had Paris Campbell, um, the rookie that wide receiver out of Ohio State for most of the season now. Deion Kane out of Clemson from last year. Neither of those guys have got much playing time because they've been banged up. Um, and we haven't had Devin Funches, who we gave $10 million to in the offseason because he broke his collarbone in week one. So, you know, we're still waiting to get some of our skill position players back. Let's see what Brissett can do when he's got three more weapons. I'm I'm okay with, with where we're going. I just I – just, Right now, I, I think that we need to be you know, more aggressive early in the game. It seems like we don't start scoring points until we're forced to score points. Like, can we get a two-touchdown lead for once <laughs> against the Broncos of all teams? It just doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm waiting for that. Like, let's win a game solidly and not have to worry late in the game on Vinatieri's leg. Yeah, and coming up this week, we're recording on Monday before the, they play their next for the next month. The Steelers plays the Dolphins on Monday night. We're expecting that to be a victory. So that's a very interesting game next week at Pittsburgh that the Colts have because Pittsburgh is not without. I mean, they don't have Ben, but they've been okay. They showed signs that they could make things interesting. So, what are your expectations for taking on the Steelers this week? This is this is the first chance um, for the Colts to prove that they can go on the road to Pittsburgh and win a game, right? So, you know, we are. We've struggled. Uh, I think the Colts have lost the last five games against the, the Ben Roethlisberger regime. So, then, you know, obviously Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are gone. So this is going to be interesting. We we in, historically have gotten beaten up by them, haven't been able to cover them, uh, stop the run. They put up a ton of points against us. We've made mistakes against that. This you know the Steelers defense. Tomlin has had our number for years. I'm hoping that, you know, what happened this week and squeaking out a win is going to kind of ignite them in practice this week to come out and, and steal a win um, in Pittsburgh. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but, you know, basically, um, I'm, I'm really thinking that this is a game that the Colts are going to come out and hopefully win by, you know, 10, 14 points. Um, I, you know, I just don't see anything that the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing right now that would kind of scare me more than, you know, what the Broncos have. You know, if James Conner's been bang up all year and, you know, they've got a couple nice players, but, you know, I'm, we're not afraid of Mason Rudolph, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay, so let's get a fun game. Let's go reset the picks challenge. Last week, Ian Sachs was here for the challengers. He went 3-0. and He had the Eagles plus 1.5 in Buffalo. They ran away with the win there. You got the Seahawks laying 6.5 in Atlanta. They won by 7. You had the Jaguars laying four against my Jets, and the Jaguars kept them closer while I would pull the way late. So 3-0 and week for the second week in a row for the Challengers. They're making up ground on me, who went 1-2 and two last week. Yeah, so I took your Colts last week laying the six and a half points. You sure you know how I feel about that game. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I, unfortunately, the Colts just couldn't pull that one out for you, so... I'm sorry about that one. Yeah, I got that one wrong. I lost the Lions laying a seven because the Giants backdoor cover late in that game on the last two-minute Daniel Jones touchdown. I did get the Pats right laying the ten and a half against the Browns. So 
I went one and two on the year. I'm 16 and eight. The challenger are 14 and 10, making up ground fast. Dan's not gonna get a chance to try and close the gap even more. You're on the clock for your pick. So where are you going with pick number one? Okay. So I'm actually going to stay talking about the Denver Broncos here. Uh, I think that the Cleveland Browns are going to go on the road into Mile High and, you know, take getting a point and a half. Um, you know, the Browns it, it were just an absolute mess against the Patriots in the first quarter. They are desperate for a win. Freddie Kitchens needs to prove that they can, you know, beat bad teams and, and be a, a better team than their record says right now. So I'm going to roll with Baker Mayfield and, and this Cleveland Browns uh, really taking out their frustrations from the past week in order to uh, win on the road against the Broncos, who are without Joe Flacco. So it should help them. Yes, that should be a help. I think the Browns, without Flacco, have a great chance to win this game. So I like that pick on your end. Where are you going with pick number two? You know, I'm actually going to go to Orchard Park, and I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills. I, I was kind of shocked. I saw the highlights. I didn't get to see the whole game, but the Bills-Eagles game was kind of interesting to me. Two pretty good teams. Um, the Bills haven't necessarily beaten anybody great, but they've got the record right now. Uh, they're a better team, uh, obviously, than the Redskins. They have not historically done well covering double-digit points. I kind of looked at this before we were making the picks this week. Um, but the Bills are giving 10 at home. The Redskins are just a mess. I'm actually thinking that this is a game that the Bills' offense doesn't score a ton of points, but the Bills' defense just wreaks havoc on the Redskins and may actually put them in a position to score multiple touchdowns um, with pretty great field position the whole day. I don't even see the Redskins getting more than maybe three points in this game. So, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but... You know, the Bills are the, are the pick this week for me. Um, basically, anybody playing the Redskins right now is my pick. Definitely a very fair strategy. I can see them up in there, there. Let's go to pick number three. Where are you going next? You know, I got to pick the Colts. You know, we said it earlier before we started the segment here. I, you know, I'm all about the Colts going on the road. I think that this is a, a finally the game that they're going to win soundly. I see the Colts winning somewhere in the ballpark of 24-13. Um, you know, I can see the Steelers, you know, trying to make a, you know, keeping it close in the first half, but the Colts will make the right adjustments in the second half. They're getting healthy this week. They've got a few more players coming back from, you know, little banged-up injuries, but I, I definitely think this is the Colts' chance to break that streak of five consecutive losses to the Steelers and, um, and you know, only giving up one point, you know, I'll, I'll take the Colts. Hey, if you think they're going to win the game, that's a good number to lay. So that's, I like the logic there. Hopefully they do better for you than they did for me last week. Absolutely. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Let's go to my picks now. Pick number one. I'm actually going head-to-head -head with you on one of your picks. I'm taking the Redskins getting the 10 points in Buffalo against the Bills because I, I think I looked at this up today earlier. The, the Bills score just 19 points a game. That's not a lot. That's towards the bottom half of the league. The Redskins the past couple weeks have been double-digit underdogs a couple spots. They've played very well. There were 16-point dogs in Minnesota last week. They lost by nine. They lost to the 49ers 9-0 at home. Great weather was a factor in that game. But you're asking a Bill offense does not score a lot to cover a 10-point spread. Doesn't seem logical to me. Plus the fact this team had a 16-point spread against the Dolphins a couple weeks ago. Couldn't cover it. Wasn't even close to it. So... Give me the 10 points. Give me the Redskins. Pick number one. All right. Well, I'm, the only thing I can say to counter you is any team that loses to the Giants 24-3, to 3, I'm, I'm taking – I'll give as many points as I need. So 
it'll be interesting, but it's cool. We're go- let's go to head-to-head. I'm, I'm confident with it. All right, fair enough. Oh, Josh Allen. <laughs> All right, pick number one is the Redskins. Pick number two, I am taking the Green Bay Packers because this number is ridiculous. They're only fair by three in Los Angeles against the Chargers, which to me just makes absolutely no sense because everybody knows StubHub Center is a home game for the road teams. So that seems to be filled with cheeseheads. Green Bay looked great against the Chiefs last night. The Chargers need to fight tooth and nail get by the Bears yesterday and would have lost if Matt Nagy was an idiot and didn't need the ball and make Pinero kick a 41-yard field goal. So this is a very, very massive number. Three points on the road for Aaron Rodgers. Give me the Packers laying the three in Los Angeles with the Chargers. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap game. <laughs> I was going to say, man, you know, I thought I thought about this one also. I think it's a little crazy. And maybe the, the betters, you know, the money line guys out in Vegas know something that we don't. You know, it's hard. The Packers have played so many big games recently. Maybe they're thinking this is a big letdown. You know, the Chargers are desperate for a win. They're at home. You know, who knows how they're going to tra- uh, – the Packers will travel out west. You know, I could see this being a little bit more interesting than we think. So, I like your pick. I thought about that one, but um, this has trap game written all over it, dude. All right, that's pick number two. Pick number three, I'm going back to the Patriots again, taking the five points they're laying on the road in Baltimore on Sunday night. I know everyone is thinking, the Patriots haven't played anybody yet. This is their first real game against an opponent this year. The Ravens are good, but there is something about Bill Belichick facing young quarterbacks, and they never do well against him. That's going to be the case with Lamar Jackson this week. Lamar is going to see things he's never seen before. Maybe he'll see some ghosts like Sam Darnold did when he takes the field against the Patriot defense. I think they will make enough plays. That Raven D is also not as good as it's been in the past. They've lost a lot of key pieces off it. It's a very manageable five-point number. It's a risky one because you know the Ravens like to play them close. But give me the Pats and the five for my final pick of the week. I give you a lot of credit here. Uh, You know, the Ravens have been that one team that always plays the Patriots really tough and gives them a headache, especially in the playoffs. Uh, it'll be really interesting. Uh, this is Lamar Jackson's chance in, in the spotlight to prove that he can win a big game. You know, I was, I was ranting about this earlier today that, you know, everybody wants to talk about Deshaun Watson and, and Patrick Mahomes. You know, they've yet to win that big one. Well, here's a, here's a really interesting opportunity for Lamar Jackson, you know, with plenty of time to study what the Patriots have done coming off last week. And, you know, they, they've got to play well in the spotlight. And so I think you made the right pick. I'm, I would never pick against the Patriots. Um, but, uh, you know, this, that's going to be a really fun game to watch uh, to see if the Ravens can, can trick up Brady and uh, Lamar Jackson can avoid the turnovers. That the, I mean, the Patriots' defense has been causing more turnovers than, you know, almost half the league. So combined, it's, it's been crazy to watch. So long story short here, it's Lamar Jackson's chance to, to prove that he's a superstar. So let's see it. All right. To reset the picks of the week, Dan is down with the Bills laying 10 at home against the Washington Redskins. His Indianapolis Colts laying one in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. And the Browns getting a point and a half in Denver against the Broncos. I am going against Dan with the Redskins getting the 10 points in Buffalo against those Bills. The Packers laying three in Los Angeles against the Chargers and the Pats laying five on Sunday football against the Baltimore Ravens. And that will do it for week nine and the picks for showing the money. Next week, our friend Phil Frietta will be calling in to do the picks. Oh, geez. We got Phil Frietta coming on the show. Well, that I, I don't know if I can ever be as entertaining as he'll be. Um, can't wait to hear all of his analysis and, and see where the future of the Giants are going. So that's going to be a fun one. Um, definitely going to be listening for that. 
Yeah, a little spoiler alert for Fred. He's giving me a. He texted me earlier today. Yeah, he texted me earlier. He's not thrilled with the Leonard Williams trade. He has thoughts on that. I mean, he gave us into those next week. It's going to be interesting. And before I let you go, I know you are the golf guy of this podcast. Do you have any thoughts on the Tiger Woods win in Japan yesterday? I know. This is fantastic, right? So it, it, it's everything is, has just worked perfectly. Um, you know, this was for anybody that kind of has been tuned out to what's going on golf-wise. We are just wrapping up the Asia Swing on the PGA Tour in the fall wraparound season. Um, we were at Accordia Gold Narashino Country Club for the Zozo Championship. They're a new partner for the PGA Tour. This was Tiger's 82nd win, uh, so he has now tied Sam Snead for the most career wins of all time. Uh, I mean, just solidifying his GOAT status, really. I mean, it's, it's, the number is the number, but now it's pretty cool that he's tied. And, and you know, it, it doesn't look like a guy who was asked to be the captain of the U.S. team for the President's Cup in, in a month, um, not playing on the team. He might have to be player and coach this year. So that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, he could be a last-minute coach's pick. I mean, technically, you win a PGA Tour event, you are the best player on tour right now. So going into this week, it's going to be really interesting to see where we go from here. Um, Tiger's game came together. Um, just so everybody knows, the Zozo Championship was just outside of Tokyo. And so they've been dealing with some typhoons over there. So this was seriously delayed. Um, you know, they had to kind of work around massive flooding um, out there over the course of a couple of days. Pretty funny story. Uh, just a little side note for anybody. Uh, I know that you might not be following golf so closely right now, but while a bunch of the guys were out there and, and the typhoon was coming in, there's a funny story online about uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, um, getting stuck actually at a movie theater after they went and saw Joker uh, in Tokyo, and they ended up going into a Domino's nearby and uh, eating food until they could get back out to their hotel. So imagine walking into a Domino's and seeing Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, Bubba Watson, Gary Woodland, and, and uh, Justin Thomas all hanging out eating thin crust pizzas so um it just goes to show you that uh you know no matter it, it golf is a very um uh expansive worldwide right now so uh but pretty cool story tiger winning obviously being the big story of the week um it'll be really fun to watch so keep an eye out over the next few weeks the president's cup is coming up in december it's in australia once again really hard to watch from a timing aspect but basically um turn on golf uh right around when you're going to go to sleep and uh, you'll get to see some of it. So um, that's just for dealing with the time difference. But um, it, it should be a fun one in a couple months. All right, Dan, thanks for everything. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody know how to find on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Sure. I've been a little bit more active on Twitter lately, um, getting angry uh, and, and going on rants. Not really trolling these days, but you can follow me at, at Out of Town fan pod um i am going to be uh putting out a new set of podcasts shortly um kind of going through thinking more big picture in the sporting world so keep an eye out for that and follow me um at dmart207 on instagram all right let's go follow dan thanks for all the time before and coming up next our two-minute drill my thoughts on the World Series, the fact that Nationals may be about to blow a golden opportunity right after this. 
Here's the 0-1. High fly ball to left. This is gone for a grand slam for Bregman. And the Astros cleanup man just cleaned up and blows open game number four here in the seventh against the Nationals bullpen. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. That call is her courtesy of Fox Sports' Joe Buck. Alex Bregman's grand slam in late in game four blows it open. And this World Series has been wild, folks. I, I called this match at the end of the year to the Astros and Nationals, and it's lived up to the hype. First of all, like this series has swung momentum-wise so big because Nationals at the week off, we're concerned about the layoff. They go down to Houston. They beat Garrett Cole and Zach Grink and... Uh, that's not great. They beat Justin Verlander back-to-back games to go up 2-0 in Houston. And you're going to watch it. You're thinking, oh, my God, the Nationals going to win the World Series. They just beat the two best pitchers in baseball this year. They're going to have to they probably lose to Greg in Game 3, but they're going to get Urquidy in Game 4. And they're going to get that one. Then they have to get one more game of the last three, and they have a champions. Did not happen. Did not win a game in Washington. Houston wins all three. They go back to Houston up 3-2 tomorrow to try and clinch. Cole pitched last night, got the win, absolutely dominated the Nationals lineup. And Game 6, Verlander sitting there to close it out. Game 7, Granke lined up. We just beat the, the uh, Nationals on Friday night. And you know that Cole and Verlander are probably coming in relief in that game if it gets to that point. But this is a discouraging performance of the Nationals who had this series in their hand, and they blew it. They literally had this series. Game three particularly was very discouraging just because they, I mean, the Astros did jump out to the early lead. They did chase Granke, but they just could not come through against the Houston bullpen. Granke in that game only pitched four and two-thirds innings. Gave seven hits, three walks. They had plenty of opportunities, but they just could not take advantage of them. The Astros bullpen the rest of the way only gave up four base runners. And Anibal Sanchez blows that game. The fourth game where you thought they would have the edge, for sure, Patrick Corbin pitching against uh, Urquidy and the the Astro bullpen, that kitchen sink game, which the Astro fans were worried about because especially once you go down 2-0, well, you're thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. We've lost our two big guys. They're going to beat Urquidy, and we're going to be down 3-1, and then we're going to have to win every game to get it back in the series. That does not happen. Patrick Corp gets taken for a two-run home by Robson Chirino. It's the big blow of the grand slam in that game. And the Astro bullpen day, that was fantastic. They only gave up four hits out of that whole group. Or Quiddy goes five innings, two hits, four Ks. Josh James, Will Harris, that whole crew only gives up the one run. That's a discouraging sign for the Nationals, who've seen their offense basically go to sleep the last three games. And you can't have that happen if you're trying to get back in this series. Yesterday's game, even more discouraging. They lose 7-1. And, I mean, apart from Juan Soto, who on that team is actually hitting? Anthony Rendon's been invisible in the World Series. He's hitting 200 in the series. Trey Turner batting 136. And, I mean, Victor Robles, 176. Ryan Zierman, 222. Nobody's hitting. And that's a major problem. And they also got dealt a big blow with the Max Scherzer injury yesterday because... Literally in the hours before the game, he gets scratched with back and neck issues, and Joe Ross has to basically come off the street because he has not pitched pretty much at all in this postseason. He gets called on in an emergency situation to start game four. 
gives out two two run homers to Jordan Alvarez and Carlos Correa, puts them in a huge hole early they cannot come out of. And it looks like again the Astros are about to be world champions. And that's you gotta give them a credit to this team. They were down 2-0 in Washington. They've seen their two big starters lose back-to-back games. It would have been very, very easy for them to say, oh, no, woe is us. What are we going to do? But they did what great champions do. They dug in. They found a way to win game three. They found a way to win game four, even up, grabbed the lead in game five, took the home field back, and now the Astros have to see Washington win both times on their home field again. The Roti has won all five games of the series so far, but I don't think that trend is going to continue. Tomorrow night's pitching matchup, you have Verlander against Steven Strasburg. Big pitching matchup, but I think the Astros will get through it. Even if they do, Game 7, you're hoping against hope if you're a Nationals fan of Scherzer's around to pitch that game. If he's not, you're looking at Abel Sanchez and the whole kitchen sink group. Because Game 7, everybody pitches just to try and get you the win. I think we've learned a lot about them in this series. And if the Nationals end up blowing this, you wonder what's going to happen to this core. Because don't forget at the end of this year, Anthony Rendon's a free agent. Steven Strasburg can opt out and will get paid handsomely. Based on this postseason, he's going to get a ton of money. I don't think it's going to be from Washington because this could be a spot where the Yankees sit there and say, you know what? Steven Strasburg would be great for us. He's a big-time pitcher. He's proving to do in the postseason, the World Series. He gives us that ace. Let's go do it. Especially if Garrett Cole is not signed there. I can see Strasburg going to the Yankees. And then that core starts to disintegrate a little bit, especially if Rendon leaves. And the Nationals, they gave him a big offer. He did not take it because you think he wants more. You can see a team like Texas going, you know what? We're moving to a new ballpark. We need a third base, and we haven't really replaced Adrian Beltre. Let's get Rendon and have that big star for our ballpark opening. Maybe the Cubs do it. Maybe they say, you know what? We have time to shake things up. We'll sign Rendon, trade away Chris Bryant, and reset our core a little bit. This could be the one shot the Nationals have, even with all that great pitching. And the fact they're about to let it slip away, very discouraging if you're a Nationals fan. And tough pill to swallow. It's, it's going to kind of go the way of 2015 Mets, it looks like, where they gave you great promise. They have the great Magic Carpet ride. They have the tease in the World Series where you think you got you, and then watch it all slip away. The analogy is almost complete. We'll see if that happens in the coming days. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Matt Verderam, for calling in to do the NFL midseason report, and Dan Martini talking some Tiger and doing the NFL picks for week number nine. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my chat with posting and toastings Alex Wolf following the Knicks season opener last week, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Spotify as well, I actually can't forget them. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can go check out all of our old episodes in the archives, including last week when we had three episodes out, including a special Watchmen premiere, recap with John Stanko, and two different Nick podcasts for you. So if you're a Nick fan, there's some good stuff in there for you this week. Feel free to give your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphilips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with hashtag backupthetruck. We made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, we will do some college basketball talk. The college basketball season is fast approaching. We will have a college basketball season preview. We'll do some more NFL picks. Maybe, just maybe, the Mets might have a manager by that point. 
if we if they do, we'll discuss it there and what that means for them going into the offseason and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Bears fans did. Yeah.